Police One Academy is leading the way in high-quality, affordable training for officers nationwide. Your department can take advantage of more than 1,000 HD videos and 175 full-length courses in a robust learning management system. Training is certified or accepted for training credit in 35 states. Join the industry's most officer-friendly learning platform with more than 60,000 subscribers. To schedule a free demo, go to policeoneacademy.com forward slash policing matters. Hello and thank you for clicking and thank you for listening to Policing Matters, the Police One podcast. I'm Doug Wiley. This is Jim Dudley. Jim, we're in week five of our six-week-long series on the six pillars of 21st century policing, covering first building trust and legitimacy in week one, week two was policy and oversight, week three was technology and social media, week four last week was community policing and crime reduction, and finally we're up to a couple of really great ones I've been looking forward to. Uh, this week is training and education, and our final podcast on this topic will be officer wellness and safety, training and education. It's a favorite topic of mine because that's what I consider myself to be, a police trainer and educator. Um, and I know that you feel the same way. Uh, it, I, for me, there can never be too much training for any kind of endeavor. Um, you know, if you're going to be training to go to the Super Bowl, you can't have too much practice time. If you're going to be training to be a combat engineer in the Army, um, if you're going to be training to be 11 Bravo and be, you know, just a guy carrying a gun into battle, there can never be too much training. Law enforcement is asked to do so much stuff. Everything from, you know, psychological evaluations of people on the street, up to and including arrest and control techniques, defensive tactics, driving. Um, Administering naloxone. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's an almost never-ending series of things. And it's, it's funny, I hear critics say, well, police are trained far less than, than cosmetologists. And I, I just, I go, I shake my head and think, gosh, you just don't know really anything about what you speak. Sure. Because law enforcement officers are trained constantly but i agree we should have and can have more and and better training what do you think absolutely and let's let's start right with the police academy anywhere from 28 to 32 weeks or more of training uh, Monday through Friday some Saturdays and Sundays uh, volunteer work then you go into a phase of FTO, field training, with a, an advanced officer, a field training officer. You're working the streets, you're seeing and doing, and you're still learning every week. You've got a new uh, learning domain to, to think about and be tested on. And you get a daily observation report. And then if you pass all that and you, you're enlisted and you're a, a regular probationary officer, you're on probation for another year or 18 months. So, and in that time period, you're being trained. You're being hit, hit with training bulletins, mm -hmm. in-service training, lineup training, roll call training, uh, video training, uh, you name it. And so the training is there. Um, there's only so many hours in a day. There's only so many weeks in a year. So how often do you do the, the high-frequency, low-risk uh, uh, maneuvers and vice versa? Mm -hmm. I mean, how often do you do um, handgun training at the range? I'd say probably 40 hours a year. Mm -hmm. And you're supposed to go uh, requalify every three, six months. And so 
Does that make you proficient? Does that make you uh, the shooter that the public wants to see shoot guns out of people's hands? I don't think so. Uh, do you uh, experience driver's training to the point where you, you feel really capable in all situations? I doubt that as well. And we have that's why we have restrictive pursuit policies. So training, yes. Doing, yes. I believe that uh, uh, learning by doing um, is, a, is a great way to, to train and to have uh, senior officers, uh, field training officers, corporals, and certainly sergeants in the field to make sure everything everybody's doing uh, things the right way. And then constant monitoring and um, reviewing of your work. I, I think that's that's all necessary. Um, I wish I could claim this for my own, but I stole it um, from a guy named Brian Willis, uh, who is a great speaker, um, a terrific police trainer. He's, um, uh, he trains all over the world. He's from Canada, but he trains all over the place. And, uh, and if you get a chance to, to listen to Brian speak, I encourage you to do it. Brian once gave me this wonderful jewel, 10 minutes of training a day. And I don't care what it is. It could be, you know, reviewing a bulletin. It could be um, watching a video tactical tip on Police One. It could be um, working with your partner to work on your handcuffing technique. Uh, could be do a whole host of things. Um, five minutes of reading a Police One article and five minutes of conversation with your partner about it. Um, if you do 10 minutes of trading a year, assuming you have, you know, roughly a 40-hour work week. Um, you a know, day. So, yeah. 10 minutes of training a day. Uh, yeah, um, I misspoke. And you have you know, a, a regular complement of, uh, of, of hours worked. You're going to wind up with 40 free hours of training in a year. That's just 10 minutes of training. And that, to me, is just the first step in the right direction. Now, there's other things in this training and education portion of the, uh, of the, the six pillars, which are more codified. You know, like things about like uh, uh, getting trained and capable to address a wide variety of challenges, including international terrorism, evolving technologies, rising immigration, changing laws, new cultural mores, and a growing mental health crisis. Well, those are things that are being, you know, th that's codified, and you can go to classes for that, and I think classes are great. Um, you know, it, it, it certainly behooves an officer who wants to move up in the ranks to get a postgraduate degree, you know, go to a college, get your, you know, management tra training because it's not, you don't just fall out of bed and become a good manager um, or a good leader for that matter. You, that takes work and training and effort. Um, but, you know, just the small things of working on your draws, you know, get a blue gun, get a cert pistol, work your trigger control, work your, you know, various other things that you are going to be asked to do, maybe very infrequently, but when you're asked to pull the trigger, you know, when you're forced to pull the trigger, when pulling the trigger is going to save your life or the life of someone around you, that's the most important thing you need to know how to do at that moment in time. Sure. You know? So to me, it's like training and education are already such a big part of law enforcement. This is almost a no-brainer pillar to me. It's, it's We're already doing a lot of this, but I say amen to doing more. Sure. And, and I teach at a, a university where... Over 90% of the students want a career in law enforcement, and I always tell them they're ahead of the game. They're here. They're going to get their undergraduate degree. Uh, they don't necessarily have to go into postgraduate work right away if they want to start a career. But they're ahead of the game not only because they're, they're learning about criminal justice and policies and procedures, but they're also getting a social um, interaction with fellow students with reporting to uh, professors 
and writing papers and interpreting data. Uh, they're doing all the things required of them once they get into the criminal justice profession. I think as far as moving up the chain in, in management, it's great to have a, a postgraduate degree. I wish I had gotten mine sooner than I did, but it's so valuable and it helps you relate to people outside of law enforcement. And and for me, it was it was an eye opener getting my degrees and and interacting with people uh, not necessarily headed for law enforcement uh, careers and getting that other perspective. And I think there's a real, uh, there's a hazard, there's a trap in falling in with just criminal justice professionals and bouncing um, the same ideas or same rhetoric back and forth when uh, it's really refreshing and, and uh, you get an interesting perspective from people from other fields, fields of business, uh, people in public health, people in government, who have different perspectives and uh, ideas about what police do. And it's often based on what they know from reading books or watching TV or going to the movies. And as you know, mm -hmm. it's often not true. Yeah. You know, to me also, the one other thing is that, particularly with regard to education, um, so there's the training portion and there's the education portion. And the education portion, to me, um, cops are problem solvers. That's what they do. They go out and solve various problems all day long. And when you go through a you know bachelor's degree or even an associate's degree, two years of, 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 of college gives you different skills and abilities in solving problems. You analyze mm -hmm. things more right. in, in a more nuanced way or maybe in a more detailed way. And I think that those and having that ability to quickly process in your brain, you know, what it is is before you and what options you might have in order to resolve that issue, um, it just makes you more effective on the street. It makes you a better communicator. Um, you know, you, you 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 were saying talking about uh, having conversations with people who have different opinions. You develop really good debating skills. You develop really good verbal judo skills. And mm -hmm. you know, verbal judo is one of those great, terrific trainings that you can get as a police officer that can help you talk people into handcuffs and talk yourself into all kinds of better situations that you may not look so great if you hadn't had those skills, right? Absolutely. And I, I think when you, you go into the, the implementation guide on, on training and education, and they talk about the nuances of what we should be training for, an awful lot of these things are perishable skills that unless you are practicing them early and often, you're losing them. So it's, it's best to, I think if we were to make a universal training plan for agencies across the United States, I think we really should concentrate on the things that we're dealing with most, mental illness, alcohol abuse, drug abuse, uh, people from multicultural uh, and eth ethnical backgrounds, eth ethnic backgrounds, um, and, and going back to the basics and reemphasizing the basics that you, you really need to know um, the rules of law. You, we need to go back to talking about the Constitution and, and these enormous powers, these 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 powers that we have to deprive people of their freedom and and the use of um, less lethal and lethal force and how we should really be judicious in them. So, you know, when we go to the police academy and we're trained to use pepper spray, how's that happen? <laughs> we get pepper spray, yeah, yes, right? Exactly. Uh, if you're going to use uh, gas, if you're going to use tear gas, uh, you're going to go down and get tear gas and take off your mask and learn how to put the mask back on. So those all have 
practical applications. They're perishable skills. We need to, we need to do them uh, every so often. But you need to feel them and see how uh, they feel in order to, to understand what it is you're doing when you're using them on, on a suspect. And so when we talk about um, electric charge uh, weapons or the carotid, uh, it's, it's really important to understand um, the, the possible implications of using those tools. Yeah. And to your point, perishable skills, you know, um, 30 years ago, or I, I, I could land any airplane you put me in. No problem. I could land anything. Um, you ask me to land an airplane today. I'm not really sure how that's going to go. So the same is true for when you've had a 25-year career in law enforcement. You've got to continue to go back to some of those basic, fundamental, early portion of your career education things, training things, and revisit them. You know, I mean, to your point, you got to get to the range. You got to, and you got to get to the range in a more dynamic way. <clears throat> I see guys on the line just standing there with their feet right underneath their shoulders and just squeezing off rounds. And yes, yes, they're hitting the ten ring. Great, good bully for you. Are you moving? Are you behind cover? Are you, you know, in a high stress situation? Not really. So I think that you need to, you know, really try to go above and beyond individually as an officer to to do those things that, particularly the, the very low frequency but high risk, sure. you know, and, and high, you know, um, um, for lack of a better word, you know, high probability for you to be injured or to have something happen to you. Right. Those things need to be practiced, you know, and it's it's you you can't rely on the fact that you could land an airplane thirty years ago and figure you can do it today. Yeah, and I really hope that if if the Department of Justice or or somebody in in um, in government is looking at training, that they look at ending a fight quickly as opposed to uh, being humane and drawing it out, because we know the consequences could be, uh, in many cases, the suspect or the officer gets injured. So. We, we've said it a million times on this show, awful but lawful. Some of the restraint or, or uh, defensive tactics used don't look that great, but they end the fight in a hurry. And, and that ultimately is, is the purpose yeah. in using those skills. Absolutely. All right. That's pillar number five, Jim. Next week, we get right to it. The most important topic in the entire list, officer, wellness, and safety.